ten years, more? He got out of the car and began to walk in the direction of the house Targo had gone into. It was one of a terrace between a jerry-built block of flats and a row of small shops, an estate agent, a nail bar, a newsagent, and a shop called Webb and Cobb, a name which always made Wexford smile. Once selling pottery and kitchen utensils, but now closed down and boarded up. Mike Burden had lived here once, when he was first married to his first wife. Number 36, Wexford remembered. Number 34 was the house Targo had gone into. The front door of Burden's old house was painted purple now, and the new residents had paved over their narrow strip of front garden to make a motorbike park, something Burden said he resented, as if he had any right to comment on what the present owners did to their property. It made Wexford smile to himself to think of it. There was no sign of Targo. Wexford walked up to the offside of the van and looked through the driver's window. It was open about three inches for the benefit of a smallish dog, white and tawny color, of a feathery-eared, long-coated breed he didn't recognize, sitting on the passenger seat. It turned its head to look at Wexford and let out a single sharp yap, not loud, not at all angry. Wexford returned to his car and moved it up the road to a position on the opposite side to the white van between a Honda and a Vauxhall. From there he could command a good view of number 34. How long would Targo stay in there? And what had he been doing with the laptop or the laptop case? It seemed an unlikely place for any friend of Targo's to live. When he had last seen the owner of the whitish tawny dog and the white van, Targo had been doing well for himself, was a rich man, while Glebe Road was a humble street where several families of immigrants had settled, and which Burden had moved out of as soon as he could afford to. Wexford noted the number of the white van. He waited. It was, he thought, a very English sort of day, the air still, the sky a uniform white. On such a day, at much the same time of year, late summer, he had visited Targo's boarding kennels and seen the snake. The scarf round Targo's neck had been of black, green, and yellow silk, almost but not quite covering the birthmark, and the snake which he draped round it had been the same sort of colors, the pattern on its skin more intricate. Accident or design. Nothing Targo might do would surprise him. The first time he had seen him, years and years ago, when both were young, but Wexford was very young, Targo wore a brown wool scarf. It was winter and cold. The dog with him was a spaniel. What was it called? Wexford couldn't remember. He remembered the second encounter because that was the only time Targo had for a few minutes been without a scarf. He had opened the front door to Wexford, left him standing there, while he picked a scarf, his wife's, off a hook and wound it round his neck. 
In those few seconds, Wexford had seen the purple-brown Nevis, shaped like a map of some unknown continent, with peninsulas running out to his chest and headlands, skimming his chin and cheek, uneven with valleys and mountain ranges. And then Targo had covered it. Now the front door of number 34 opened, and the man emerged. He stood on the doorstep talking to a young Asian, the occupant, or one of the occupants, of the house. The young man, who wore jeans and a dazzlingly white shirt, was at least six inches taller than Targo, handsome, his skin a pale amber color, his hair jet black. Targo, Wexford noticed, might have grown old, but he still had a young man's figure. The T-shirt he wore showed off his heavily muscled torso, and the black jeans emphasized his flat stomach. He had left the laptop behind. While he was in the house, he had taken off his blue and white scarf, because it was warm, no doubt.